This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. His name is Mud, the first F-bomb in Star Trek history, and safe journey, Mr. Ripper. Episode 5 of Star Trek Discovery is now in the books, and man, was I having a huge range of emotion last night. For me, I think this was the best we've seen so far, so let's get right into it. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, friends, to Episode 5 of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. It's great to be here with you once again to talk STDSC. Once again, my name is Dan Davidson, and we are thrilled that you're joining us today for another fantastic discussion about what we just saw on Star Trek Discovery. You know, as always, this is the place to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Discovery. And, you know... Once Cybox said to let go of our pain, but tonight we choose our pain as we talk about episode five. In addition, we're going to get our thoughts as to what we think might happen next. And more importantly, we're going to discuss what this week episode helped us discover about our own humanity. Speaking of humanity, I would be far from human if I didn't send along my best wishes to my friend, brother in Trek and co-host Bill Smith, who is really under the weather this week. So he's going to be uh, sitting with us silently as we record tonight. And joining me in his place this evening is a great friend and fellow podcaster. You may have heard him on wonderful shows like Shore Leave or Trek Ranks. He is the creator of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. And he, uh, he just kind of joined us recently on the inaugural first episode of Discovering Trek, his name is Jeff Hewlett, and Jeff, welcome back to the show, and uh, thanks for filling in for Bill as he gets treated over in sickbay, man. Oh, guys, I am honored to be asked to sit in this uh, this co-captain seat with you, and when Bill messaged me and asked if I would step in for him, I was beside myself. Very, very honored. Thank you for doing this, and I, I love being here. I'm so proud I was on that inaugural episode, too, by the way. So, Bill, I hope you feel better soon, buddy, and uh, we'll talk soon. Well, we are, we're thrilled to have you here. They are, uh, they're tough shoes to fill, but I am uh, quite confident that you're going to do a great job. Um, as always, we also are going to welcome our special guest in this week. So why don't you tell us who that is and uh, let's say hello. Sure thing, Dan. We, we're extremely fortunate to welcome another great podcaster to Discovering Trek this week. He's the co-host of Standard Orbit, Trek FM show dedicated to the adventures of Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and the USS Enterprise. We're all very close to my own heart. Uh, he's Ken Tripp, and we're honored to have him on the show to discuss Choose Your Pain. Ken, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I can't tell you how excited I am to be aboard. You guys um, are just doing a phenomenal job, and I've been listening to Discovering Trek now, and I'll tell you, there's, there's one thing about watching Discovery and following this along. And we all know how emotional last week's episode was. The only thing more emotional than that episode was the podcast that you guys put together last week. It was incredible. And it, it, you guys had me all wrapped up. It was, uh, 
it, it was it was really deep, and I really appreciate what you bring to the table. So for me to be here with you guys today, thank you. Thank you. The honor is all mine, and I cannot wait to get into it. Well, thank you very much, Ken. That's really nice of you to say. We can't thank you enough for for joining us here to discuss uh, this latest episode. And and for those kind words, I I raise my glass to you, sir. So here's mud in your eye. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. But before we get into specifics about episode five, uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and tell all our listeners how they can get in touch with us to talk about Choose Your Pain. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek. On Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion and even leave us comments, questions, or suggestions. You can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Please remember, though, that any comments you may leave may be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, folks, from here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode five of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Choose Your Pain. Burnham sees herself within a chamber full of spores connected to the ship's engines, just like the tardigrade. She presses a button and both of her scream. It's a dream, and she wakes from it to find Tilly snoring. Burnham brings the tardigrade's deteriorating mental state to Dr. Culber's attention, and he agrees to run some tests. Meanwhile, Captain Lorca meets with Starfleet Command. They want him to lay off the spore drive until more tardigrades can be located, and this does not please Lorca at all. Burnham has lunch with Tilly, and she tells her how she's concerned about the tardigrade and how much time is on her hands. Lorca injects medicine into his eyes as Admiral Cornwell enters the room. She turns the lights up to full, not realizing he's in there, and that puts him in considerable pain. They discuss Lorca recruiting Burnham onto his ship, but he flexes the latitude he's been given by Starfleet to run his ship his way. Lorca's in a shuttle headed back to the Discovery. The transport is captured by a Klingon tractor beam. They board the shuttle, killing the pilot, and take Lorca captive. Admiral Cornwell informs First Officer Saru of Lorca's abduction. She makes it clear that Lorca must be rescued before he divulges Discovery's secrets. Saru plans to search Klingon space for Lorca, and upon hearing Saru's plan to make multiple spore drive jumps, Burnham informs Saru of her concerns for the tardigrade, but finding Lorca is his top priority and they can address the tardigrade after that. Lorca is aboard a Klingon prison ship where he meets hardcore Fenton Mud. Huh, sounds familiar. Mud tells him that his attempts to woo a woman named Stella led him into the arms of the Klingons. There's a third captive who, as Mud says, is, quote, out to lunch. The Klingon guards enter the room and tell the captives to choose their pain. Mud points to the third prisoner, and one of the Klingon beats the prisoner to death. When the Klingons drag the prisoner away, Mud explains to Lorca that the Klingons come in and tell the prisoners to choose their pain, meaning they can accept a beating or pass it on to someone else. 
Lorca notes Mud is free of bruises, and Mud tells Lorca to stick with him, insisting the two of them are both survivors. Back on Discovery, Burnham and Culber go to engineering and talk to Stamets about the tardigrade. Culber's test apparently confirmed what Burnham told him. Continuing to use the tardigrade in this manner could lead to its death. Culber leaves, and Stamets tells Burnham that they need to find a solution. Back on the prison ship, Lorca meets another captive, Starfleet officer Lieutenant Ash Tyler. He's been on the prison ship since the Battle at the Binary Stars, meaning he's been there for seven months. Lorca wonders how Tyler has survived so long, and he says the captain of this ship has taken a liking to him. Stamets, Burnham, and Tilly are working on the tardigrade problem. Tilly suggests that they could create a virtual tardigrade to replace the real thing. The problem is that they need a living navigator, and she suggests that they could find another species that's sentient and understands its role in the process. This would allow them to graft the tardigrade's DNA directly onto it. Laurel interrogates Lorca, and by interrogate, we mean she pretty much tortures him. She puts a device on his face that holds his eyelids open, and then she shines bright lights directly into his face. Ouch. Saru prepares to launch the Discovery's rescue mission. Meanwhile, Stamets, Burnham, and Tilly have shut down the spore drive to find a species compatible with the tardigrade. That doesn't make Saru too happy. He arrives in the lab, angry that the spore drive is offline and that Burnham went around him. So far, the only possible substitute they found is humans, but eugenics experiments are forbidden. Saru accuses Burnham of behaving exactly the way that she did that led to Georgiou's death. He receives word that they found the battlecruiser with Lorca, so he heads off to the bridge, ordering the spore drive to be brought back online and Burnham to confine herself to her quarters. Lorca is returned to his cell. He's figured out that Mud has been feeding intel to the Klingons. He finds and destroys a transmitter on Mud's pet Stuart, Bug Thing. Mud knows about Lorca and that Lorca's last command was ambushed by Klingons, and Lorca was the only survivor. Lorca says he didn't just escape. He blew up his crew and his ship just so that they wouldn't be taken to Kronos and tortured. Ripper is beamed back into the spore drive and the Discovery goes to black alert. The jump is made, but the tardigrade falls over and enters a state of cryptobiosis. Man, that was a lot of water. Saru orders the tardigrade to be rehydrated for use, and Culber explains that the tardigrade is in survival mode and that those actions would likely kill it, noting that it could be a sentient creature. Culber refuses the order, but Stamets agrees. The Klingons enter the prison cell and tell the prisoners to choose their pain once again. Tyler volunteers and he is chosen. Tyler takes the beating at first, but then begins to fight back, with Lorca joining in. They defeat the Klingon guards and take their weapons to mount an escape, and they leave Mud behind, who promises vengeance. Dun-dun-dun! Lorca and Tyler fight their way through the ship. Tyler is hurt, so Lorca goes on ahead to look for an escape route. Laurel finds Tyler, and they fight. Another Klingon guard arrives... Lorca returns fire, killing the guard, and then hits Laurel in the face with disruptor fire, maiming her. He grabs Tyler, and they head for the shuttle bay as Laurel is screaming in agony. Lorca and Tyler steal a Klingon raider and escape the cruiser. They fight their way through other raiders and eventually reach the Discovery. Saru orders the Discovery to spore jump out of Klingon space. 
The ship makes the jump, but it was Stamets who used himself as the navigator instead of the tardigrade. He's found unconscious and bleeding, but Saru is able to wake him. Saru goes to Burnham and tells her about Lorca being saved. He admits that he's not scared of Burnham, but angry at her for what she took from him, and jealous at her that he never got to serve as Georgiou's first officer. Burnham tells Saru that he did well today, and gives him Georgiou's telescope that was left to her. Saru then tells Burnham to go and save the tardigrade's life. Burnham figures that the best way to save Ripper is to set it free into space. She and Tilly give the tardigrade some spores and then release it, where the creature awakens and teleports away. In their private quarters, Culber checks over Stamets and he tells him to stop worrying. Stamets tries to explain to Culber why he did what he did, including that he knew Culber would leave him if he hurt the tardigrade. Stamets insists that he feels okay. He leaves and walks away from the mirror, but his reflection remains for an extra moment or two before it, too, leaves the room. Well, guys, normally this is the uh, point in the show where I would thank Bill for an awesome job at the recap, but uh, since I filled in for him, great job, Dan. Well done. And uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, I'm no Bill Smith, I, I will say that, but uh, it was fun to do the recap. So a lot of stuff happened last night, and it was an emotional roller coaster from the very beginning. Um, let's start right off, guys, with Saru and Burnham and that confrontation and the quote cleansing that took place at the end of the episode. For me, and I, I said it on Twitter last night, I haven't shed tears in regards to a Star Trek episode since the finale of Deep Space Nine in the last five minutes mm. until last night. That was an amazing scene. Ken, what was going through your mind when you saw what was happening between those two? Redemption is really what, what, what I thought. I, I thought it was a very powerful scene, obviously. But for me, it, it was the, the necessary bond that needed to occur. There had to be a, a conversation, a, a drawn together piece for these two characters to continue on and realize that they are, they are better together than they are apart kind of fighting each other and I just thought like you it was it was emotional but I'll tell you throughout the whole episode I don't know why I was smiling I was smiling a lot and and I was you know it wasn't I understand what you're saying the tears because you were so happy I was the same way but I I I wasn't brought to tears but I just had uh, an ear-to-ear grin on my face because so many things happened in the show and that I thought was the perfect ending for it and yeah it was uh it was powerful. I agree. Powerful is a very good word. And Jeff, uh, yeah. I'm thinking that you were uh, along the same lines. One of the things that was was interesting to me is, is and to take a step back before this scene, I got to say, I was on the edge of being really, really mad and ready to throw up my hands if the tardigrade had died in that one scene where it kind of yeah. shriveled up. I thought it was dying. And if it had died based on what mm-hmm. Saru was doing, I was really going to have a problem with that. But come to find out in this scene how he wanted her to go and uh, and save the tardigrade really was, uh, as Ken just said, a redemption point in my mind, at least for Saru who had been acting so far. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I was really, I want to say worried. Uh, the, the, the fracture that was developing in their relationship in the earlier parts of this episode, I mean, the previous episodes, 
made you think that the the two of them were going to be getting closer slowly and getting their relationship back. But the way that things went down in the, in the beginning of this, in the middle of this episode with Saru in command and, and uh, Burnham kind of going around his back and, and I was a little bit worried that that was going to continue, but the, the fact that they resolved it and wrapped it up such a, in such a nice way at the end of this episode, in such an emotional way. Mm-hmm. And I, I was left wondering if that was Saru's intention to have her actually free the tardigrade. I was so glad that it wasn't dead. And then it, it did, it did come back to life once she let it free into space and it was able to go and be on its own and free again. And I was, I was very, very worried that it was going to die just like you were. And I I would have been very upset by that. And that was one of my biggest uh, difficulties with the last episode was the way that that, that poor creature had been treated. And I was very happy that their relationship Saru's and Burnham's was brought back together in in such a great and meaningful way. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. As people who listened last week knew, I had a real problem with the way that they treated uh, Ripper um, last week. So it was good to see how things uh, resolve themselves uh, this week. Great, great stuff uh, with those two characters. Um, Of course, one of the things that we were looking forward to based on previews was the introduction, or maybe we could say reintroduction of a uh, uh, maybe beloved, maybe not so beloved character. And that's hardcore Fenton mud rain Wilson. Mm-hmm. I think he did a great job as mud and uh, he had some great scenes in that prison cell with Lorca. Uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts on what we saw last night from rain? Uh, oh, absolutely. I was very impressed with his first episode, his first appearance, I was a little bit worried about the character. Um, I mean, I knew they had to do a different, a little bit of a different spin on him, but I'm glad that they did what they did. And I like the backstory about his um, gripes with Starfleet and how there's so many more of us down here than there are of you up there. And it just, it, it gives us a little bit of an insight into what we're going to see from him when he's back. And I have some other stuff that I wanted to talk about, about mud, but I was going to save that for later. Oh, sure. But the um, overall, I thought his performance was great. I loved that he uh, seemed to be so aware of how things operated in the Klingon prison and that he was, uh, we did, well, again, we'll find out a little bit more about it later, but uh, I, I loved that he had that kind of calm, almost evil cool about him, even in the toughest times, but then he broke down near the end. Um, when they left him there. So I think we're going to see some more interesting stuff down the road from him. But overall, I was actually, I was really happy with his first appearance. Nice. I was too. One of the things I thought was great as I was watching it, um, they brought a lot of TOS uh, things into his version of the character. You know, um, I believe Roger Caramel's performance, I believe that's how he pronounced his last name, was so great as Mud for those who liked his character. The wispy mustache and Rain had that along with the beard, but, you know, the beard can just go away maybe the next time we see him. Just the way he stood reminded me so much of the TOS character with his hands yes. clasped in front of his stomach. I thought that was a great um, rendition as to what we're used to seeing with this character when we saw him in TOS. Um, some people have said online that they weren't sure if it ha- actually had to be uh, Harry Mudd. It could have been any character. But, uh, Ken, what do you think? You think it was a good idea for them to bring in someone that we're familiar with? I thought it was brilliant. Well, I think so. And and I think one of the things we saw throughout the episode that I really enjoyed was all the touch points, really, to Star Trek, right? Especially mm-hmm. TOS. That, oh, yeah. was, that was throughout the whole episode. And, you know, the, the geek factor goes up tenfold when that happens. 
And so when they pulled in uh, Rain Wilson to play it, I was like, well, how is this going to go? And if you remember, you know, the first time we met Harry Mudd in the original series, he was a pretty dark character. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he wasn't this this jovial, you know, kind of a goofball villain that he turned out to be in the in the last episode that he was in and then in the animated series. I don't know if that counts or not, but at any rate, <laughs> I, I have to say that being the dark character he was and the way he manipulated people, I thought that that Rain really pulled this off well, that this guy had an axe to grind. You know, and, and I really thought, too, the um, that line about the people down there, you know, yes. we're always wondering, what is the Federation like outside mm-hmm. of Starfleet, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got the Starfleet officers and they live by this code and everything's supposed to be wonderful. And, you know, he almost came across like, you know, you played your politics and now we're, we're, we're paying a price, you know, right. your arrogance and things. And And to me, that opened my eyes and my ears quite a bit. So I think we won't get too far down the road here, but I think that when, when you say, you know, what's, what's the sensor sweep, there's some things that um, I think he's, he's planting some seeds that are going to grow further on in this, in this show. Interesting. I, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think is going to be coming up next. So of course he had a, uh, a familiar cellmate uh, for this episode with captain Lorca. Um, let's talk about him for just a second. Um, I was surprised at his, overly outward reaction to the change of strategy that Starfleet command was imposing on him. It kind of made me feel that he's more powerful than we give him credit for, or maybe he just is that arrogant. Um, I, I did like the reaction from the bald Vulcan off uh, Admiral um, who was at that meeting when he was uh, being told what was going on. Uh, let's start with you, Ken. Um, what do you think about Lorca? Uh, as we've seen his character develop over these last few episodes. Well, now that we've learned what happened to his prior command, I looked at him a lot like Picard viewed the Borg. He's going after them and he wants to do everything he can to take them out. And he's got the ship and the weaponry and the device to do it. And that's where I think his mindset is. We don't know why he is the way he is until this episode. And, Mm -hmm. And once that's exposed, that he lost his ship, he was the sole survivor and he killed his crew to keep people, you know, the, the parallels are amazing to first contact to me. You know, when uh, Captain Picard just shot Ensign Lynch and, and others who are going to be taken by the Borg, that was his mindset. And then the only thing Picard wanted and now that he wants is to to get back at them for what they've done and to end this war. So you're right. He does have an awful lot of power. And I think that drive, you know, even the interesting piece where, you know, he's saying, you know, how are you doing, soldier? Get up, soldier. Mm-hmm. Very different mindset for Starfleet. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys whose head flipped immediately. He went from explorer to soldier, um, just like Kirk, diplomat to soldier. And the Organian Peace Treaty, same thing. And um, so I, I think we now understand his character a little bit more. And we can appreciate where he's coming from. Okay. that's um, You brought up um, his backstory with his uh, former command. One of the things I wrote down uh, as a note when we listened to what was going on, and Jeff, I want to get your insight into this, is does what he did show just how crazy he is or just how smart he was at the time? Mm, wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, 
it's hard to, to know which one is the truth. I mean, in, in the situation that he was in, um, I, I don't know what my own decision would have been. I would, I would like to think that I would have been strong enough to spare my crew from the, the torture that they would have been exposed to had they been captured uh, by the Klingons. I mean, obviously we see in this episode how brutal they are on that prison ship and how not only do they brutalize the prisoners, they often kill them as well uh, for, for no reason whatsoever. So you can only imagine what his crew would have gone through had they been captured by the Klingons. So Mm -hmm. uh, I want to say that it was a decision of conviction. It was, couldn't have been an easy one for him to make, but I, I don't think that I would lean towards the crazy side. I would lean more towards the, I think he was doing what he felt was right for his crew at the time under the situation that they were in. Okay. Ken, I'm going to put you on the spot now with a question. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's in regards to Ash Tyler. We finally get to meet uh, this character. Uh, Do you think Lorca is uh, or should be trusting Ash Tyler based on what we've seen so far? Do you think there's something uh, weird going on with him? Yeah, I'm glad that I got to see this episode without really tapping into what Frakes was putting out or any of those people, because it was afterwards where I started to see the conversations taking place. And from my perspective, I was like, I'm in with this kid. Uh, (laughs) I didn't I didn't feel like there was anything wrong other than he was trying to survive and he was he was trying to. you know, uh, stick with it and, and put up with with mud and everything else. And and so my initial instinct was, yeah, he's he's okay, and that he's going to um, he's going to be taken under Lorca's wing, and 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 we'll move forward. It's been all the other seeds that have been planted in my head since that have raised an eyebrow. But my initial instinct will stick will stick with it, is that he's going to be okay. It it might okay. be a, a double switch actually. Okay. One of the things that I saw online today and and Bill saw online as well is that some conspiracies out there is that Ash Tyler is actually Volk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeff, what do you think about that? Do you think that's something that is a possibility? Is that just too far fetched? What's your take on it? I personally don't think it is, but um, no, that's a good surgery work. It, yeah, that's, (laughs) I don't know. I, 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 I I think there's a there's a height difference there too. I I don't yeah I, I can't buy into that. If that's the truth, then I would be very very surprised <laughs> by it. But then again, this show has surprised me several times over the few episodes we've seen. So I guess anything's really possible. But I I'm not buying into that. Very good point. Um, all right, so let's get to the um, the discussion point that I I wanted to say for last. I'm going to have one more thing after this, a little small discussion point, but. That's the F-bomb heard around the Alpha Quadrant last night. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my thoughts on it first, and then, Ken, I want to hear yours, and then followed by Jeff. I had no problem with it at all. I said way back when, before the um, filming even began for the series, this is going to be taking place. It's 2017. It's going to be 2018 shortly. Television has evolved, and I like television that is real life. You're going to have language. You're going to have violence. You're probably going to have some adult scenes, this, that, and the other thing. I have no problem bringing language like that into something like Star Trek, as long as it's not done over the top, like we see in some other shows. 
I thought this was perfect. Tilly is a great character. She's wide-eyed. She's eager. And she was excited about what was going on. Yes, she's a cadet. And some people have said a cadet would never do that in front of an officer. It's a different ship. There are different things going on. It's a time of war. Yeah. I was perfectly fine with it. Uh, Ken, what did you think? Did you have a problem with it or were you cool? No, I was really cool with it. I thought it was funny. I thought it was exactly what, what you would expect from an awkward young kid who's been thrown into a circumstance and the emotions have taken over. Now, I have seen this many times happen in the military where somebody <laughs> just says something, right? And and you'll see the, uh, the chief or whatever, give them this look and you'll see the two officers turn their heads and start laughing. Um, because <laughs> It happens. It just does. And that's that's the awkwardness of youth. It was captured beautifully. And I thought, you know, let's have some fun with this show. Let's 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 go in another direction. So I I thought it was handled right. It was done right. But it was so believable to me. And so that was that was the piece I really enjoyed about it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, what about you? Was it gratuitous in any way or what do you think? You know what? I, I I'm, the parallel I'm drawing in my head is this is. In in today's terms, this is the same thing as Captain Kirk saying, let's get the hell out of here back in the late 60s, right? That was a big mm-hmm. deal. Was, saying right. word hell on TV was a big deal. So I think this is the equivalent of that in modern terms. I, I think it was said in, I don't want to say the heat of the moment, but it was said in excitement. It's something that I've said in the same type of a, of a, of a time where I was excited about something. I was like, this is so effing cool, you know? I, I, it didn't bother me at all. I didn't feel like it was gratuitous. It fit naturally. And it's not like they're dropping these things all over the show. You know, it was a, you know, one, it's one person said it, another person said it in a, you know, repeating it. So I don't, it just didn't, I didn't think it was a big deal as people are making it out to be. I agree. That's a great point. Bringing up what happened back in the original series, back in the sixties. I also thought of one other aspect. We didn't hear this type of, Oh my God, this isn't something that should be in star Trek. When prime Kirk dropped a BS uh, at Spock, when uh, they met for the first time, Hmm. Um, you know, you don't hear a lot of language in star Trek. So when it happens, everybody's ears perk up. But for this, I just thought it was, I just thought it was good. I thought it was lighthearted in a tense moment, the stuff going on, they're talking about the torture of this animal and, and that just came out and it really lightened the the entire scene. I thought, I thought it was really well played out. Uh, Nice job guys. Um, And that was the Kelvin Kirk, not the prime Kirk. Sorry about that. Um, One other thing I want to bring up for discussion points, and that is the amazing calls to official canon last night. And I can now finally say Robert April is official canon based on what we saw last night. (laughs) And that thrilled me. We had stuff like April and Archer and Decker and Pike. Mm -hmm. Um, The Mempa system was was seen on the map along with Space Station K7. All -hmm. of these things. And of course, Harry Mudd. I just love what the writers are doing. They're, They're keeping things the way that the fans remember and love. And I think it was brilliant. Jeff? I totally agree. I I will admit to freeze framing uh, when Saru was asking the computer for a list of captains and I saw the monitor flash and the names start coming up. So I I had to freeze it and make sure that I read the names and I had a big smile (laughs) on my face. Robert April made me chuckle. Like this is, this is pretty awesome that he's actually officially referenced uh, somewhere else besides the animated series, but right. Um, I love that Pike was up there and, and the, the nod to Decker was, yes. was awesome. Yeah. And these are, this is some, I would love to see him show up at some point uh, in discovery somewhere because we know his career is building right now. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of possibilities 
for some of these people to show up somewhere in there, maybe not in season one, but maybe season two. So yeah, I, I, I love what they've done with the, the little drops and little references. And I, I said this on another show too. I love the, the little sound effects that are peppered in, like when they're, when they're activating the transporter and you get the familiar sound from TOS, mm-hmm. but just modified slightly, all nice nods, yes. uh, things for all of us to pick up on. You know, I know they're, they're busy trying to attract new audiences to Trek and I, I applaud them for doing that, but it's nice that they throw a little, little things in there for us too. Absolutely. Uh, Ken, did you catch any other ones besides the ones that I mentioned or are you good with what we saw there, man? No, I was, I was pretty wrapped up in, in what we saw and so grateful for it. It just, uh, it, it, like I said, the whole episode just, just made me smile, but that th- those pieces right there, but those names, everything. And you, and you know, the Starship Enterprise really has a, uh, Great luck with captains. We can say that for sure. But it is, um, it is, it is amazing. But this was the stuff that that made this episode just so special to me. This is where you got to say, okay, now we're really seeing the connectivity here, and we're being pulled in, and we're being pulled in fast. I mean, like a right. tractor beam, we are being sucked into this thing. <laughs> I uh, I look forward to next week's uh, little canon Easter eggs. It's always good to see what they're going to do. Um, but for now, here we are. We're at the somber part of the show, folks. Uh, This is where we remember those that we lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. And we like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. You know, Discovery is a show, it's a Star Trek show where we lose crew members and we lose characters. That much is certain. We've seen it already. Um, so Jeff, uh, why don't you just remind us of those who, as Michael Jackson might have said, are gone too soon? <laughs> well, Dan, uh, let's see. Captain Lorca's shuttle pilot. And, you know, I think shuttle pilots in Discovery are not having great luck, are they? <laughs> no, no, they <laughs> not are not. At all. We're losing them left and right. I would not want to be a shuttle pilot in Discovery after seeing what's happened to a couple of them. But I guess is what you get for... Uh, only having one other officer with a captain on a shuttle during a time of war. That is questionable, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that was a big question mark. I'm like, okay, my wife actually said, why is there only one person on that ship and no security? There's plenty of empty seats. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Klingons, uh, both beaten up, neck snapped, uh, vaporized by um, by Lorca in the hallway. There's some really good good death shots in there. So a lot of Klingons went down. And an uh, unnamed Starfleet officer on the Klingon prison ship who, I mean, gets the tar beat Ooh. out of him um, he, it, by choice. I mean, Mud, Mud chooses him. Um, before, that's before we get to know that that's the system there. But he chooses for this poor guy to get beat up. He gets thrown into some walls. And then you think the Klingon guard is going to walk away. But no. Turns around, stomps his head. And uh, that's pretty much it. They drag him out and he's gone. So, uh it's a rough yeah. episode. Yeah, it's so sad. You know, we raise a glass of Synthahol in their honor and memory as they have all earned their spots on this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. So this week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. Fansets is the place for all your collectible pin needs, whether it's Star Trek, DC, Marvel, Harry Potter, or even Firefly, Fansets has just a pin for your favorite genre. Head over to Fansets.com and check out their vast library of products and accessories. Plus, we have an exclusive offer for our Discovering Trek listeners. For this week only, enter the code STEWART, 
that it's S-T-E-W-A-R-T at checkout for a special 10% off your entire order. But don't wait because this code is only going to be available until next Sunday, October 23rd at 11.59 p.m. EST. And let's pause this. I'm going to go run over and buy some stuff right now. <laughs> okay. Well, it's funny that you say that, Jeff, because I just ordered a bunch of pins last week. They arrived this morning, and I got to say, I am digging the Sarek pin from Discovery nice. in a big way, as well as the web-exclusive Captain Kirk in his Tholian web spacesuit. The detail in these things is just astounding. Yeah, yeah. They look great. They look great, don't they? But in addition, I mean, I own a bunch, but in addition to these awesome pins with the launch of Star Trek Discovery, Fansets is changing the way that we collect pins. It is the episode pin collection, and it's available to pre-order right now. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Guest Host Guy. Absolutely. Um, the Star Trek Discovery episode pin collection consists of a unique pin for each of the 15 episodes of Discovery's first season, plus a special season pass pin, which is available for you to order right now at episodepins.com. Head on over to the site and sign up for the collection, but don't delay because in order to get that special season pass pin, you must order the episode collection before midnight on October 29th, 2017. Orders after that date will still receive all 15 episodic pins, but you will not get the additional season pass pin. Mm. All right, so here's how it works. First, as Dan mentioned, you need to go over to the episodepins.com and place your order. Then, about four to six weeks after the ninth episode airs, the first nine episode pins in the series will go out to those subscribers along with the season pass holder pin. Then four to six weeks after the last episode of Discovery airs in 2018, the last six pins will ship. So it's a great way to display your love for both Star Trek Discovery and, of course, for Fansets. You got it, Jeff. Fansets, a set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Yeah, those guys are awesome. And can I just say about Fansets right now, I was so lucky that I had a couple of friends who just attended New York Comic Con and were able to get me the Fansets exclusive pin, the Discovery oh. pin. It is so cool, man. I am so happy to have this thing. <laughs> Very nice. And uh, later on in the show, somebody else is going to be very happy as uh, we give away an entire set of Series 1 Discovery pins as well as that New York Comic Con exclusive. So good so, stuff. So cool. You know, everyone, Trek has always been a reflection of our times. And in this segment of Sensor Analysis, we're going to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about our own humanity or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. Ken, uh, there was a lot to take in last night, a lot of good stuff. You know, normally this is kind of the somber part of the show or, or the, um, the serious part where we talk about uh, what we've discovered. What did you think about last night? What uh, specifics uh, did you uh, jot down as to what we saw? I had a couple, Dan. I had, they brought ethics back into the war, which, you know, we talk all the time about the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. And in this case, they flipped it just like they did when they rescued Spock uh, back in Star Trek Three. The needs of the one outweighed the needs of the many. And they did the right thing. They did the right thing with Ripper. Uh, they treated him well uh, to, you know, after it, it got to critical mass there. But cooler, smarter heads prevailed. And I thought that was, that was really key. 
that uh, the humanity came back into this series and came back into the forefront of the show. Mm. The other, the other word I wrote down was resiliency. You know, it is, um, it is, it was kind of gone through very quickly last night, but you know, Captain Lorca was tortured. Um, Mm. We don't know what he went through. We know they, they shine the lights brightly and all those kinds of things, but you know, he, he fought through it. I mean, he, 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 he came back. Um, he was, he was pretty strong. Um, you know, and I know it might've just been the first of, of many in a series that were about to happen, but, you know, I, I think it, it, it does tell us a lot of times that we can take more than we believe we can. And, and when I look at reflective pieces of Star Trek, I get, I guess, really deep into it sometimes. And, and even though that was a very small part of the episode, one very brief scene, to me, his comeback from that was very, very impressive, and um, and that's that. Those were the two key ones that that I wrote down. Nice. Um, nice. Those uh, that that one about Lorca is one that didn't even enter my mind. So it's great to get the different kind of uh, of examples from from people when they're on the show. Jeff, uh, I'm sure you got some good stuff too, man. What do you got for the sensor analysis this week? Yeah, you know, I uh, um, the one message that I really took out of this was, I mean, Star Trek is always had a hopeful tone and um, I, I felt the hope come out of this episode because I think the times that we're living in right now, and maybe not everybody listening will agree, but I know a lot of people in my personal life now who feel pretty powerless and uh, we feel like, you know, what we want and our opinions and our desires aren't being taken into account and things are just going kind of haywire and we don't really feel like we have much to do about it. But I feel like, what what happened on this particular episode of discovery made me remember that you know there are people out there who will stand up for what they feel is right even if they're at a great personal risk you know to themselves even people who are not in a position of power you know despite people in positions of authority you know imposing their will upon us there are still those of us who will stand up and and fight for the for the 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 oppressed and for the the abused. And I think there's a hopeful message in the freeing of the tardigrade and Mr. Ripper, as the case may be. I think good things can happen uh, even when the things seem most bleak. So I, I was happy to see, you know, the voices of reason be able to prevail at the end. And this, this poor abused creature was allowed to go free and apparently be thriving again. So I think it's a hopeful message that everybody can take from this and, you know, stand up for what you believe in, you know, even if it seems like everyone else is against you. I like it. Um, my comments are very similar to yours, uh, Jeff. You know, I listened to what you and Ken said, and I see, I hear words like resilience and hope. And uh, my word's going to be sacrifice. Um, mm. You know, as I said a few minutes ago, this discussion usually takes on a serious tone and sometimes grim tones. And I'm glad that today my thoughts are more positive and show what I feel to be a better part of humanity. Um, and I speak of Lieutenant Stamets and what he did for the tardigrade. Um, he knew what was happening. He knew it was wrong. And although he didn't tell Captain Saru his plan, he knew that he had to do something. Um, He showed me that good people are willing to sacrifice everything, including possibly their own life, in order to protect those who are unable to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful moment and one that I think really defined or even maybe redefined Stamets as a character based on what we've seen so far. I really like that. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to bring up 
is I have to make a quick comment about the scene between Stamets and Culber at the end of the episode. It was fantastic. It was heartwarming. You know, there have been some negative trolls on social media who said that this relationship doesn't belong in Star Trek. And, you know, I just got to say why it's love, damn it. And in my mind, that makes it 100% Star Trek. Star Trek is IDIC. And I, for one, am happy to see society in the future has evolved to embrace it. While at the same time, I weep that we still have such a long way to go in the present. Those people need to get over themselves and enjoy what we're seeing. And I'll leave it at that. I agree with you, Dan. Yeah. 100% Dan, thanks, agree with you. If, if there's thank one thing, could I add one thing to that, Dan? If, Absolutely if, can. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Because at one, I'm, I've been very lucky. I haven't seen anything negative. So maybe I'm, I'm just on the right, right spaces. So that, that to <laughs> me makes me feel pretty good, but you know, it was played perfectly. It wasn't mm-hmm. overdone. It wasn't over the top and it wasn't too subtle either. It was, mm-hmm. it was just right. And what I mean by that is you're watching this whole thing go down and all you're thinking is, yep, this is normal. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking this is a breakthrough moment or that it's being played. anymore. you're like, yep, yeah, this is normal. And, and they filmed it like, yep, this is normal. And, I thought that was very, very well done. Absolutely. I agree. It felt like a normal interaction mm-hmm. that two people would have, you know, before turning in for the night, you know, and there was the concern and, you know, it, there was for the audience, for us watching, we get to see, you know, Stamets is, is feeling good. He's looking good. He doesn't appear to have any ill effects until the weird thing at the end, which I'm sure <laughs> we'll get to, but it was a genuine moment of caring and, um, you know, I, I, I hate to say stuff like this, but I, sometimes when people in the Star Trek community out there, when they say things like that, the, the trolls that are out there, it makes me wonder why they're Trek fans yeah. to begin with. He, I just he don't said get it, it. it acted just like a normal scene. You know what? It was yeah. a normal scene. It was, it was, it was a couple talking about their day. I thought it was Absolutely. wonderful. Yep. I agree with you. Yep. So, you know, now it's time, what, something we love to do every week. It's time for our Starfleet commendations. So what we're going to look for, Jeff, I'm going to start with you, man. We want one, two or three things that you really want to specifically call out in this episode, whether it's characters, performances, scenes, but a couple things that you just, God, you loved about this episode. Well, there's a couple, at least. There's two, two of them are character-driven uh, moments for me. One, of course, we've already been talking about Stamets. Uh, you, you went into a little bit of details. This is a bit of a repeat of some of the things that you said about him. I, the, the personal risk that he took um, injecting himself with the DNA and attempting to act as the Spore Drive's co-pilot. You know, this is this is the old, the famous, you know, doctor uh, injecting himself with his own serum to try to see if it works. You know, so I think... Um, that was a brave moment and actually redefined my own opinion on him up until then. I've been kind of in the middle on the character and wasn't sure where I was going to fall, but I think he's becoming more and more and more human. And, um, you know, it was every episode and this one really kicked it over the edge for me. And now he's become one of my favorite characters on the show. Just that amount of sacrifice, um, that he was willing to put himself, his life on the line, not only, to help rescue Captain Lorca, but to also spare the the tardigrade who, you know, other people are afraid of and don't care about. And I, I think that he also not only have he risked his career mm-hmm. as well in, in doing that. So 
there's a lot to like there. I think there's a lot of stamets to unpack in this episode. And I think for me, this has completely changed my opinion of his character. Uh, second, Burnham, I think for pushing the line uh, with with Saru to try to get him to understand, you know, what was going on with the tardigrade and, you know, pushing back and pushing back against the captain's orders and then around going behind his back to Stamets to try to figure out a way to help this creature. I think she's starting to assert more of herself here, taking some risks as well. Um, I know we're not going to know what Lorca's reaction is going to be uh, to the tardigrade being gone because we, we haven't really, he, I don't know if he's heard about this yet. I'm sure the next episode we'll, we'll get his reaction, but she could have easily be putting herself in a really terrible position. I mean, she's, I mean, she doesn't have anything to lose and what's the worst they can do, put her back in, in prison, but still, you know, she's part of a crew again. She's starting to assimilate into the crew again. She's, you know, getting some respect. So she took a lot of risks in this episode too, to specifically to help that, that okay. poor creature. And I have to also really quickly call out some of the ship effects in this episode as they are in every episode are just so breathtaking to watch. I love the, the, the spinning discs on discovery. I love the, the spore jump uh, animation that they do with that. It looks so, so cool. All the spaceship stuff looks so cool. So that, that, that's, that's it for me. I don't want to go on. Sure. Too long. I'll, all good, good stuff. Ken, I'm going to save the best for last, so I'll get to you in just a second. Um, for me, uh, my commendations were, you know, just the idea of choose your pain. Mm. What an incredible way to show how the Klingons treat their prisoners, I thought. Um, it's amazing mind trickery, so you never, you know, trust the prisoner you're sharing a cell with. I thought it was devious, and I thought it was brilliant and shows just what these Klingons are like. I really like that a lot. Um I already mentioned Saru and Burnham and how I actually shed tears for the first time since DS9. Um, that last scene was just wonderful. I wasn't liking how things were going with, with Saru the last couple of episodes, and, and, and I had hoped to see some kind of a change and get an explanation for the way that he was acting the last couple of episodes, and we definitely got that with this week's episode, so I thought that was fantastic. And uh, I also want to give a commendation to Rain Wilson. Uh, like I said earlier, he embodied mud in what we know of him from TOS. Um, I never really watched The Office, but people had always told me how good he was in that. And uh, it's good to see that he brings his talents over to Star Trek Discovery. And I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, so that's what I have. Ken, I'm sure you got some good things too, man, as always. <laughs> well, the pressure's on now. I, I Listen, there, there wasn't anything you guys said that, that I didn't have in terms of what I wanted to talk about, but I'll emphasize a couple of things. So my first commendation went to Lieutenant Stamets for a couple of reasons. In the episode previous, he still wasn't on board. You know, he, he's, he's telling us this is not what he signed up for. And, of course, it took Captain Lorca playing the uh, the audio from 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 the colony to, to right. get him to understand this isn't a game and it's not about you. So I, I looked at a scientist trying to figure out how to become a soldier and he became a, <laughs> a scientist soldier is what he became. He, be, he, be, he was able to figure out the technology to to do what was best for, for the ship and for his for his crew. Uh, I guess we know now, right? It's 123 souls. We know how big the ship is. It's not very big. Um, well, maybe it is in size, but not a lot of people. And um, and then at the at the same time, you know, make that well, 
Piece number one, he took it all upon him to put that technology together to save the ship and sacrifice himself. So that's why I'm saying he had the best of both worlds. He he really was very, very special in this. And he was a tough character to start to really like because of his arrogance and everything. And now he's come full circle. So I, I really enjoy him. And then the other one for me was Commander Saru. Because I think it shows a lot of, of, of risk-taking in this, in this show to show people looking in the background and questioning their, their confidence and their abilities and trying to become better. And, you know, I can understand the intimidation factor of having your previous commanding officer on the ship in a much different role and think that you always have to look over your shoulder. It's not about impressing Captain Lorca as much as it is about impressing Burnham and making sure that he's doing things right. And so I thought the moment between those two came a long, long way to kind of settling that in the sense that she's saying, you know, I trust you. I know that I, I stood in your way. And he was being very honest about wanting to have that opportunity to grow, to learn from Captain Sorchu. And it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. But now the two of them have come together. So those were the two big commendations that I had for this week. That's great. I, that that whole, what you just talked about, about him having to, you know, show Michael that he's, that was great. That was, I never considered that. That's really very interesting take on that, Ken. Like that a lot. Long-range scan of planet complete. So right now, it is time for our predictions for either the next episode or for the rest of the season. Either way is good. Before we get started with our panel here this evening, I did want to throw in that uh, Bill has an idea for a long-range scan, which I wanted to share with everyone. And uh, he thinks that the Stamets that was left in the reaction cube after the jump is Mirror Universe Stamets. Mm, wow <laughs> wow all right man good good stuff you know how i love the mirror universe and oh, yeah uh yeah th- that's that's pretty awesome of course we did see a mirror stamets which we didn't really talk about but i think that speaks for itself um ken what do you have for a long range scan i had a couple of things here um a couple of things that were said in this episode that I'm, I'm trying to see, you know, or again, I, I'm using the term planting seeds a lot, I guess, spores, space seed, whatever. It's a Star Trek <laughs> thing. Right? So one of the key things the Admiral said very early on in the episode when they were talking about Burnham and, you know, the fact that she was still on the ship and, and an active part was there's a lot of people out there that feel she may have caused the war. Now, everything mm-hmm. I've heard before that was she caused the war. Right. So they're they're kind of setting things up, I think, a little bit for her eventual redemption. And 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 I'm and I'm very interested in that because I think a couple of things could go on. The spore drive is now known. They know that there's a ship out there. The Klingons know that this thing can pop out at any time, anywhere. And when we talk about how it mirrors our own history sometimes, I think a lot about the B2 stealth bomber, which never fired a shot, but it, it essentially brought the wall down in Germany because the Russians could no longer afford to keep up. And, and it really was a game changer. So I'm wondering if a piece of that technology or if they start to use it, even in a couple of more ships, change the war and bring the Klingons to the, uh, to the negotiating table. Be interesting to see how sport technology and cloaking technology on the other side are going to come, uh, come together in, in this, uh, in this new series. So those were a couple of the things that I had maybe, long-range scanners. 
Wow. Uh, Jeff, you got, I, I don't know how you're going to top that, man, but I'll let you give a crack at it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to even try to top that. I'm just going to mention some of the stuff that, that I'm thinking is going to happen. I think, honestly, I think Lorca made two really big mistakes in this episode. One, leaving Harry Mudd alive, because obviously he's not happy at being left on the prison ship, and you know that he's going to find some way to escape. And Lorca is going to be in his sights. And, you know, this new darker mud, I, I think we're going to see some difficult times down the road. I think he's going to make things a little bit miserable for Lorca. And number two, I, man, I, I don't know if he meant to disfigure Laurel, <laughs> but I, I think he meant to do that. And he did not kill her. And that is going to make her want some serious revenge on him. So, I mean, we know that we know that Mud was feeding her information. So, I'm wondering if the two of them are going to actually work together to get revenge on oh. Lorca down the road. I can see that happening. So, that that might be wow. a, that might not work out too well for Lorca. Yeah, I was kind of questioning at first, you know, why isn't he taking him? But then what you just said, he didn't not just leave him there. He didn't kill him either. So that's, oh, that could have some serious side effects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll see. For me, one of mine is very similar to, to yours, Jeff. The first one I had is that unlike Bill's prediction um, about mirror universe Stamets, I think that Stamets that we know and see, if it is our universe, is going to have some really wacky side effects oh, as yeah. to what happened. We kind of saw it last night with the mirror, even though it's not really affecting him right now, but I think there's going to be something going on there. And the second thing, just like what you said, uh, we are going to see Mr. Uh, Mud again, and he is going to be in a really bad mood. Mm -hmm. um, and it will be interesting to see what happens. So I guess we'll see, but uh, Jeff, uh, let's give away some stuff. Shall we? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So last week, we asked our listeners to use a special hashtag and retweet an image we posted on our Discovering Trek Twitter feed. Anyone who did that was automatically entered to, in the contest to win not only the Series 1 set of Discovery pins, but also an exclusive New York Comic Con only pin, which I actually have one sitting right here on my desk. It's really cool. Well, the response was amazing, and it's time to pick our winner, Dan. Yes, uh, it was certainly an amazing response, and we want to thank uh, everyone uh, who took part uh, in this contest. It just goes to show the love that people are having for fan sets and the awesome things that they put out. Uh, earlier this evening, Bill and I randomized the list of Twitter folks who retweeted and used the hashtag, and then I had Bill pick a number, and he picked the number 31. And in that list that I had, our winner is Rob Marsh, who on Twitter is Rob M underscore 1984. So congratulations, Rob. Uh, I'd like to uh, have you send us a direct message on Twitter and we'll coordinate sending you your awesome new fan sets pens, man. Good stuff. So cool. So be sure to tune in next week for details on how you can win the next fan set tastic giveaway from our friends at fan sets. And as always, we thank them for sponsoring today's episode. All right, folks, that's about going to wrap it up uh, for this great episode. Choose your pain. Jeff, uh, what do we have going on next week on this here podcast? 
Well, next time on Discovering Trek, we'll take a look at Star Trek Discovery's sixth episode, Lethe. And joining us to break down the episode will be one and only, wow, Scott Mance from Access Hollywood and Access Hollywood Live. It is no secret Scott is a huge Trek fan, and we're honored to have him on the show to talk about the developments in next week's episode and what humanity we might discover in it. Plus, don't forget that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for Discovering Trek on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. And for those of you on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you'd rate and review the podcast. That will help other Star Trek fans find the show. Awesome stuff. uh, Ken, we cannot thank you enough for joining us to discuss this latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. And uh, before you go, uh, where can fa- uh, where can people find you on social media and all those other fantastic places online, sir? Well, if you're looking for me, the best plot, I guess, is on uh, on Camp Kittimer, uh, on the Babel Conference of the two most popular Facebook sites that I'm hanging out at, and through Twitter at Boston SCPO, sir. Awesome. And Jeff, I cannot thank you enough for standing in for Bill, who is under the weather. And uh, let's get all your information, too, man. We want people to know where you are out on the Internet. Sure thing, man. I am Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter. And you can find all of our Tricorder Transmission shows at the TricorderTransmissions.com. Also, ShoreLeavePodcast.com. So we have our original mission. We have Shore Leave. We've got Trek Ranks. We've got our Disco Trek show, which is our fan community run show about Star Trek Discovery, where we have two fans from our community on every week to discuss Discovery. It's a lot of fun. And you can find us there and also on Twitter at Tricorder Show and Shore at Shore Leave on Twitter. Wow. We You're a busy guy. That. Yeah, yeah. We got <laughs> out there. Lots and lots of podcasts. But always fun to be here, Dan. And, and I hope Bill is feeling better soon. It has been my honor to sit in for him tonight. Well, it was great to have you both here. That's going to do it for episode five, folks. And until next episode, reflect on what Commander Tuvok once said. We often fear what we do not understand. Our best defense is knowledge. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.